Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. It's the good stuff. Yeah. Flat Podcast. Episode 134. Over there is Mr. Uh, Ryan Bull. Yeah. He's an English teacher and literature and film teacher at Mitchville High School. And I'm Richard Lusk. Me too. <laughs> exact same resume. Exact same resume. Yeah, it works. This movie that we're reviewing this weekend is uh, streaming on demand, on cable, and I saw it on DirecTV. I guess for me... Almost any movie that A24 is going to put out, I'll give a look. Uh, I'll give a second look to. And then maybe I'll watch it, maybe I won't. I, I haven't been disappointed by A24 films. Yeah, I think they do a good the job distribution of company. Um, going through the independent scene and picking out interesting films. This movie's called Remember, and it is about an Auschwitz survivor, a Jewish survivor of the Auschwitz camp in world war ii tells his name is zev gut gutman played by oscar winner christopher Plummer. you are the only person who could still recognize the man who murdered our families do you remember what you said you would do when ruth died i have planned everything for you you must follow these steps precisely. His name is Otto Wallisch. You must find him. You must kill him. I'm looking for my father. Sir, I'm gonna have to check your bag. I've already called the police. Passport? We are the last living survivors. Stand by the window. Who are you? Please, don't yell. This is Nazi. Nazi. Bad person. Did your father ever talk to you about Germany? Are you kidding me? No, he's a collector, right? This 90-year-old guy with dementia, living out his final years in a serene retirement home. He gets a mysterious package and talks to another Academy Award winner uh, actor, Martin Landau's character, Max, who sort of puts him into a, he gives him a a, a, a task. He's going to go track down the guy that's responsible for killing their families. Both Max and Zev were prisoners in Auschwitz, same time the, the sadistic guard. So uh, that sets off the movie, and it's not much of a spoiler because it's the first, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes of the movie, and then it becomes sort of a road picture after that of a man with dementia on the road and seemingly an unlimited amount of resources. Uh, yeah, I mean, he has a fair amount. He's he's set up so that he can do this. Uh, it's it's interesting. There there are parts of this film that plays like a Holocaust survivor film. The film also reminded me a lot of Memento because yeah. Christopher Plummer has dementia. There are a lot of times where he wakes up from little old people naps. Right. 
and he's asking, you know, where's my wife? Where's my wife? And she's apparently passed uh, Mm -hmm. a week or two before. And he has to read this letter, and this letter explains things to him. Now, we've talked at length about my inability to feel emotional for most characters in films, with the exception of, of course, Leonardo DiCaprio and any any uh, any canine mm-hmm. eric, ca- actors. <laughs> I said characters. Uh, but Christopher Plummer was able to make me have feelings for him and i'm not sure if it's the character or the situation as much as it is the acting but i was drawn to this person and immediately felt a sense of empathy because he has to experience that loss every single time he wakes up that's mm-hmm. the way the movie sets it up that he gets confused and he and he starts looking for his wife now that's some commitment to your wife but I know how bad it feels when I lose a pet or when even when someone's sick, you know, you feel bad to experience that loss in that way. The first for the first time every single day is, I mean, that's horrifying. That's horrifying in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And the the movie dealt with that theme and it did a really good job with it. And I think that's probably why I liked it more than I think I should. Well, so, it's also this is a fate that could befall any of us. You know, the idea of dementia and growing old and feeble and mm-hmm. just feeling very, very vulnerable. The, this whole time, this guy's out in the world. You're really worried that something bad could happen to him. You know, he's barely holding it together. Right. Um, how much of it is by his wits, and how much of it is just plain luck? And it's hard to tell. There's a scene where he has to go through a border crossing, not to really give much away, but he gets by a little bit on just playing the old man. I'm sorry, I'm confused. Right. Right. And there are other times he's pretty slick Mm -hmm. uh, with some of the tricks he uses. So you're not sure, but there are other times, yeah, he has completely forgotten what he's doing and it it could all end very poorly for him at any moment. Have you read Proust's uh, remembrance of things past. No, I talk about a passage in the book in my AP class where a person has to reconstruct their identity when they wake up in the morning. And if you didn't have access to certain things like uh, familiar items or sights or smells or anything, you wouldn't be able to do that. So he has to re-identify every time he wakes up. He has to re-establish who he is every single time he wakes up. And like I said, that's a theme that plays out in different ways throughout the movie. So um, I don't know how f- feeble Christopher Plummer is, mm-hmm. but it's kind of, I think, a little frightening for him to have to be playing that role. Oh, yeah. Because he's a lot closer to it than, say, we are. So if he has empathy for that character as the actor, then, I mean, it's a empathy born of potential experience not very far away so that kind of scary he does a ton of just subtle little um non-verbal acting just with his motions and looking around and being confused and he discovers the letter at at many times throughout this film when Mm -hmm. he wakes up from a nap or whatever and it's in different spots it's very organic it's not the same trick over and over again of how he will stumble upon the letter right it's fantastic. 
he you really can see the gears moving through his mind as he's trying to piece stuff together it feels incredibly authentic it seems odd that he would have as a character as much of a grasp on his distant past as he would need to have in order to go on this journey than as compared to the amount of grasp he has on his like just recent past mm-hmm you know what I mean? It just seems odd and strange that this guy could be sent on a journey that he goes on or, or that he would accept this this plan. And I sort of struggled with that for most of the movie. And I don't, I don't know if that's what caused me to have a different reaction to it than you did. It's not, for me, there were, and I know this is a movie that is somewhat controversial for the both of us, but... Kamiko the treasure hunter (laughs) (laughs) didn't have the same situational drawbacks that I'm referring to in this movie. I believe it or not. I was more willing to accept her journey than his because of, uh, some of those things that were holding me back. Ooh. Uh, I mean, this is a more, this is a less fantastical movie than that. Tonally. But it also it's this movie's relying on a reality. It's insisting on a reality that it's having a hard time making me accept. Uh, yeah, I wasn't ready for you to compare this to Kamiku. <laughs> that was well, not the direction I but, thought uh, you would go. I, uh, I, I see the connection. Yeah, sure. I, I didn't have a hard time accepting this world. Uh, it probably would have been easier if this film had come out pre cell phones and. You know, in in the nineties, oh. I think this would have felt more authentic and more possible. That's another thing, though. Is it? it it's said in modern times oh, when yeah, he's on the train, the there's a kid yeah. playing a PSP. Okay, but those, those PlayStation Vita didn't those come out before cell phones? Could this have been set ten years ago? Uh, I don't know. I was trying to look at the cars, but I'm not very I'm not very good with cars. <laughs> yeah, cars never uh, so. give it. Uh, let me know. I, I don't know. He didn't have access to a cell phone. Though. I don't Seems, think he really his, wanted his, to use his cell phone. His father did, or his son did. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So it's, it's existing in a weird sort of world of technology that we have currently. So if it is um, what contemporary with us, then mm-hmm. that just exposes more of its issue, more of the issues I had with it. I don't know. I mean, there's also a part of me I kind of like that he's able to go on this adventure. You know, in a lot of ways, even though he's an old man, he's like a child. And oftentimes we see children escaping and going on these crazy adventures. Uh-huh. Did you ever run away when you were a kid? No. No, I never really wanted I to. I did. You did? Yeah. How, how far did you get? Ditch. Ditch. Out in front of my house. In the ditch. I'll just live in the ditch. That'll show <laughs> mom and dad. It wasn't a very draw- well drawn out plan. <laughs> you didn't think it through. No, and then, uh, I mean, then I got hungry. <laughs> I had to go home for dinner. I'm not even sure if my parents knew that I'd run away. I left in the morning and I came back at night. That's pretty much what I did every day. But for me, that day, I ran away. Fair enough. This guy's running towards something, though. Yeah, he's running towards something. I I had told you earlier today that I thought the movie was done rather on the cheap. I was surprised to see what the budget was. Oh, you found the budget? Yeah, any idea what you think it is? Well, you said $3 million, and since you say it's... Well, I don't, I'm not really sure where you're heading now, because it could be a lot cheaper than that, or a lot more expensive. There are some good actors in it. Um, Adam McGoyan 
the director has done I mean he's an Academy Award winning director or he's been nominated he's for been nominated nominated um The Sweet Hereafter nineteen ninety seven or something, ninety eight. And he also did Error Rat and a recent movie that I'm watching I'm in the middle of and I couldn't recommend it. It's on uh Amazon Prime, uh Captive with mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds. Uh all right. How much did it cost? I'm gonna lowball it. Three hundred thousand. Wrong direction. Oh, I went the wrong way. Thirteen million. Wow. Canadian. Oh. So I looked up the exchange rate. It'd be about $10 million. Right. <laughs> but still, a ten, I thought this movie was made for once $2 million. Huh. This was a $10 million film. I'm not saying I don't see where they spent the money. I mean, yeah. they do go to a lot of locations. And yeah, there are that some... does become expensive. You know, especially if they actually went far and traveled. If they didn't just find a bunch of locations all within the yeah, same city. Yeah, but not millions of dollars we're but talking about. $10 million film. The setting he goes to four different places in search of this of this man. Uh Kurlander or Kurlander? Rudy Kurlander. Ru- Rudy Kurlander, and there's four of them out there. Uh that Max has found, Martin Landau's character has found through his work with the Simon Wiesenthal organization. And um apparently these were pay- people from around that era who immigrated to America under that assumed name. So they either, I guess they weren't really Rudy Kulander's, and they came to America under Rudy Kulander's name and Mm -hmm. acted as if they were those people, and then uh, that's who he's supposed to go out and find. One of these guys, and he winds up going to, uh, this is a little bit of a spoiler, he winds up going to more than one of those places, Mm -hmm. more than one of those locations. So, But... It's okay. I, I think as he goes to these different people, we hear lots of different stories. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I like about this film is that it deals with the fallout from a tragic event. You know, some people may say that this is a Holocaust film. It's post-Holocaust. This is a guy who survived the Holocaust. And even though that always plays in the shadows of the film and is always hanging over the entire plot, this is dealing with the fallout, much like uh, Spotlight, the award-winning film from last year. You know, is dealing with the fallout of this child molestation mm. uh, problem that ran through the Catholic Church. Uh, so it's more like uh, Judgment at Nuremberg as opposed to, say, Schindler's List. Or yeah, I mean, I, I, and for me, I prefer that. I, I don't need to see picture after picture showing me blow for blow what these horrible events were like. Right. You know, I, I've seen that. I feel like I have a good grasp. I want to see the stories of what people did afterwards. Uh, movies like Doubt, or uh, if you want to go with uh, Holocaust, post-Holocaust films. Uh, last year's Woman in Gold, I really liked. Well, you did like that. I did. <laughs> That's um, a strange one. I liked uh, The Reader from a couple um, of years ago with that, Kate that Winslet. That did have Kate Winslet in it. Yeah, that did have Kate Winslet. And then there's a Dutch film from director Paul Verhoeven, the guy who did Robocop. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Book, which is the highest grossing Dutch film. Oh, wow. Um, also really interesting. What's the highest grossing Dutch film? How much did the highest grossing Dutch film gross? I, I don't know. I know. I'm going to go 300,000. On the cover of the DVD when I rented it from Blockbuster. Uh, it's a, or the Blu-ray, I'm sorry. It would say it was the highest grossing Dutch did film. Did you see last year's, or uh, maybe it was 2014's foreign Academy Award winning movie, Ida? I haven't Have seen Ida. That? Yeah. That's pretty good. If you like, if you like those... Mm-hmm. 
movies uh, uh, dealing with the fallout of the Holocaust. That's that's a good one. Any of these tragic events, I think when you're a survivor, it changes you as a person mm-hmm. and can make you an interesting character to tell a story around. Well, you also kind of like, I think you even showed in either your film class or uh, maybe 10 Honors, you showed Life is Beautiful. Yeah, I've shown that's that to 10th graders before. It's a decent movie. Uh, that and should, okay. So this is my question then to you. It's more and more of the greatest generation of people die out as we get closer to that generation of people who had firsthand experience of World War II. Um, you know, as they leave us, as they pass on to their greater reward, are have we lost? Are we losing time to deal with these movies, or or, or can we? Are we losing interest or? Do we even need to keep telling these stories? Yeah, uh, not not that there's not a need, but I mean, I suppose there's a human need. I'm talking about the uh, the artistic um, way of dealing with this with this theme. Is it is it have we gone beyond that? Son of Saul was a Holocaust movie. Yeah, Son won. of Saul won Best Foreign Film this yeah. year, uh, which uh, you prepped me on this question yesterday, and I thought, yeah, I think we're about done with. Uh, Holocaust films. I, you know, I'm not sure how many more stories there are to tell. And then I was doing some research, and it seems like there's still some interesting stories out there. Uh-huh. So I, I think we're going to keep seeing these films. It will start to slow down, I think, for a while. But we'll still have a couple of these coming out every year. Uh, I think the Holocaust is still a big part of European culture. And as the movie industry becomes more worldly, I think we're still going to see a lot of these films. I think. Germany and Italy, even France, are still dealing with the fallout of World War II. It right. still has a lot of importance. And as f- filmmakers gain you know, power to tell the stories that are important to them, oftentimes they want to look back on their family histories. So you know, World War II and the Holocaust are still going to be important events, and they're going to want to tell stories, if nothing else, just to honor their families. All right, so no. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yeah, no. Yeah, th- th- that's a long way of saying All right, well, here's a concomitant. I, I asked this question to my students. Okay. And a lot of them just blew it off. Oh, that's a stupid question. One kid said, they'll keep making these movies until there's another huge world event to make movies about. So we'll keep making World War II films and you know all the mm-hmm. various aspects of that until there's World War III. Hmm. And I thought, that's really sad. But not a bad answer. I don't know if uh, I, I because of movies like this. This was going to be the the other question I have for you, but because of movies like this, and because our of our ability to know more things instantaneously and to have access to history and current events right away, mm-hmm. will there be another genocide in the Western in the modern Western world? I mean, there are genocides going on right now, but they're in primitive locations. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine, not not that I'm the final arbiter or something like this, but it just seems to me like it would be incredibly difficult to have a genocide of this order in a modern Western setting with people having direct access to each other across wide distances and, you know, in real time. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know, unless you could like... I don't really want to answer my own question there because I really don't know the answer, but I wonder what you think. Do you think that this will be the last 
genocide in the Western world. No, I, 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 humans are too prone to hate. And I think if we ever get thrown into a real bad economic depression, especially worldwide, leaders seem to emerge from those things who are able to focus blame on a group of people, you know, some sort of scapegoat. I mean, that's, that's what Hitler was able to do. And one of the reasons why he was able to come to power in Germany. Yeah. He was tapping into a a national sort of understanding of certain things and racism was inherent there culturally. But I mean, I, I could make arguments for something like that possibly could happen in America if we ever went into a huge economic downturn that we may want to try and blame certain races. Right. Not that that would be good or anything. I mean, that's clearly racism and it's bad, well, but see, I, I could see that happening. I guess my argument is reductive and looking backwards, I don't know if they could have gotten away with the Holocaust if they had had access to the internet and access to Twitter. and that. So you They could to, have gotten away with it? They couldn't How would have. we have stopped them? Well, I think... <laughs> A lot of we didn't get involved in the war for a while, and a lot of people didn't know that were like a lot of Jews were able to be picked up and carried off because they thought that they were, you know, just being relocated for a while until this blows over. I don't think that they knew that they were going to their deaths for a long time. I mean, keeping that secret was a big part of the the master plan. So it wasn't, I mean, you had pockets of Jewish resistance, the movie, um, resistance, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, with, uh, Daniel Craig. Yeah. It came out recently that, that, I mean, that was, that was an anomaly for bands and villages and of Jewish peoples to, to rise up against this sort of, you know, powerful. So Maury would help get the word out so that the yeah. uh, Jewish community in Europe could organize or itself and be yeah. rebellious. I mean, yeah, they could get the word out to America. My point is, uh, okay, we're upset about it, but we can't stop Germany because we're at war with them and we can't get to where the concentration camps yet, are. For the most part. Yeah, we didn't get involved until the end of 41. So, I mean, it took a, and it took something else to get us involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were isolationists for a long time and it, it took Japan's involvement in the war to, to really push us over the edge. But I don't know. I mean, a lot of people were denying that the Holocaust was existing in the middle of this existence. So, Oh, yeah. There's, uh, there's still deniers to this day. But I don't think you could do that. Yeah, I guess if it were happening right now in a modern world, in a modern setting, with technology and our access to each other, I'm not sure that you could lie or hide it as easily. But Quite possibly. I don't know. I hope so. I hope this is the last Western genocide of all time, yeah. Or at least, I, at least for my life. Yeah, I, I hope there's no World War Three like my student predicted, but only time will tell. Does uh, he just because he wants other interesting movies? Is that why he wants that? No, I thought that was okay. a that was a cogent point. So uh, we've kind of talked around a lot of aspects of this film. Are we, are we ready to get into spoilers? Yeah, let's spoil this thing. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. Movie spoiled itself. <laughs> so you didn't see the the twist ending. I saw the twist. I didn't see it coming. You saw the twist, but I happened. also read nothing before this film. Hmm. So I, I went in cold. Okay, I saw an article in the Washington Post. I think it was in the Washington Post titled, or, or I, I it wasn't. Maybe the title wasn't this. But it had something about leaving in the last five minutes. Like this is a great movie up until the last five minutes. 
So I knew that there was something big coming. And I think with a movie like this, where he's on a journey, it occurred to me about halfway through, and I, I think maybe that article had something to do with it, that either he was going to be the guy that he was searching for, mm-hmm. or it was going to be uh, Max, Martin Landau. Because I found it odd that he was going to these different locations, but he was sent to those locations in order. Well, I got the idea that it was also just geography. Go to the He went to the first one because it's the closest. Yeah, but Max had to have a feeling, this is one of the hang-ups that I had with it, that he would have gotten caught at the border with a gun. He buys the gun in America, and he's bringing it across the border to Canada. Max had to kind of think, he's not going to be able to get this thing done. He's not going to be able to get this gun across the border. And it only happens as a, I mean, it, the, the gun isn't smelled out by the dog that walks right by him. Um, and the border agent looks in his bag, but he, or he's looking for his ID or something in his bag. He has an expired passport. Uh, there were so many little... But he left the gun on the bus. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, that That's does true. get around it. it so, it, but I don't understand how that makes your point then that Matt sent him in the, in this order and he saved the most Well, he sent him to Canada first. At the end. He sent him to Canada, well, second. He yeah. sent him to Canada f- second, and I was thinking that this was, this was going to be a sticking point where it would have been likely for him to get caught. So, I, I, I don't know. There were little bits and pieces like that that it didn't fall into, I mean... Max planned this whole thing out, but he didn't get him a he didn't get him a passport that wasn't expired, knowing he was going to be going into Canada and that the guy might be checked. You pulled the old man trick. Plus, when did you right, start having it, to, have, to have to have passports get into Canada? I, I didn't think that you had to. Yeah, I thought you could still get by on a driver's license. Checked his passport. I mean, apparently you don't because it was expired, but they still checked it. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't I, know. I, I, I was just thinking Max has this thing so planned out to the T, and he knows who he's sending, mm-hmm. how does he not know? I mean, how, how, how is he counting on so many of these happenstances well, that allows for these events? That he's going to be able to get past border control? Oh, no, that, not just that. Uh, he might not have even been able to find his his uh, taxi or, or his ride on the first day if he hadn't been helped by the little kid's dad. Like, he has to meet and have a conversation with his little kid and then the little kid has to be a good enough kid to talk to his dad. And his dad has to be a good enough guy to go help him, you know. To they were find the, the guy with the sign. I mean, he points out the guy with the sign, hey, are you so-and-so? But Plummer had already wandered outside. I, All right. So you, I, I mean, yeah, you, you have to get lucky to some aspect. But then again, does Max really care if Plummer's not successful? I mean, he's yeah, going to so take his best swing at this, and if it works, great. If it doesn't work, oh well. If Christopher Plummer gets caught with a gun trying to cross the border and gets into trouble, I think Max is going to settle for that and be all right with that outcome. So Max's plan is just that Zev Gutman gets caught? Yeah, I think this works out as best as it can for him, but he wants uh, Christopher Plummer, Gutman, to uh, suffer in some way. So he doesn't care if Gutman kills himself? I think he's happy that he kills himself at the end. It's, you know, murder-suicide. But he's not expecting that when he sends him off. Yeah, he probably figures he's got less than a 50% chance of pulling this thing off. Huh. I mean, that's how I read it. All right. But, I'm I mean, coming... he, he's 
he planned it out as best he could. He took his best swing. I mean, what else can he do? Was there a better plan? You're sending a 91-year-old man on a murder mission. You, you're well, then, going to have to get lucky at some point. Well, then it also comes back to at what point does he meet this guy, Gutman? And then when does he realize that not know that he was who he was when he was 18? He's told himself the lie so much and he forgot. I mean, he's suffering from dementia. I guess you yeah, lose but it, w- parts of your memory. I, I, the, ha- the, the, the happy coincidence of the guy that murdered uh Max's family arriving back or are coming to this yeah, old folks to family. to explain that I would have to spoil another film. Why? You can't explain it without spoiling another. Do you have to well, say there's, what the there's other another film, is? film where a guy forgets his past and he's told himself this lie so many times that he believes the lie. The lie becomes true in his mind and he suffers from memory issues. Right, much like that, um Christopher Plummer does in this film. But this guy is, has constructed a narrative that he is accepting of, like, or whatever Zev Gutman, um, Christopher Plummer's character, has constructed a narrative and built a life and had a family and raised a family. Yeah, he's lived a life for 73 so years. Why is he able to accept that he is the guy who Rudy Curlander says he is at the end? Why? Why does he kill himself? Why how, does how everything does he... click into place? Yeah, and why? Do, why does he accept that identity? Because no one's told him that in seventy-three years. Hmm. I think you know everything starts to fall in place. And um, yeah, but what would you? Okay, Rudy Curlander, you know, shows him the tattoo on his own arm, and you know, explains That's still not and stuff. Proof. Maybe it helps jog your memory. You've never had someone jog your memory and point out something, and all the dots fall into place. They're connected. All the pieces work together. Not to the not to the extent where I'd kill myself. Well, I mean, that's a whole lot of guilt then that's flooding in on you. Earlier in the show, you said how badly you felt for Christopher Plummer. You know, the fact that every time he wakes up from a nap, he's got to relive learning that his wife is dead. Yeah. Well, now he's got to relive the fact that he went and killed hundreds of Jews, and he's got to deal with all that guilt and. Or, or did he? I mean. Did he feel guilty at the no, time? No, or did the did the two of them as eighteen year old prison guards? the the two guys that constructed this narrative where they escape as prisoners mm-hmm. somehow were they ultimately responsible for killing Max's family or is this just something Max made up like does Kurlander when he sees him at the end he says oh I always knew that you would show up D- is he is he feeling guilty for having done some heinous thing I, I can't remember in the dialogue whether or not he, they've admitted to Kurlander seems to have come to grips with it. I mean, he's been able to move on, make a new life for himself, put it in the past. Plummer's character, apparently, I would say he feels so much guilt that he tries to bury that part of him, much like, you know, children who have really traumatic experiences will sometimes put up mental roadblocks. Mm. I mean, isn't that how you develop split personalities? Yeah, I don't know if the movie earns it. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting twist. I didn't see it coming. I thought... It's a cheat, though. I thought... When I was watching it, my guess was that he's not going to get Curlander to admit that he did all these things. And then it's the ambiguity when he does kill him. Did he kill the right man or not? Or is he this senile old man who doesn't know what he's doing? I thought that's where the movie was going to go. And, you know, it didn't. And that's fine. I tell you what, uh, not commenting on what the movie could have been. But the last scene was the worst scene. 
of the whole movie. And and it was because tonally it was so weird. And it came as when when he walks up to that log cabin and first encounters Coolender's daughter. Mm-hmm. And then the granddaughter that comes downstairs, bounding downstairs or whatever. And who is this strange man playing the piano in our log cabin in the woods? Oh, it's one of your father, your grandfather's friends, dear. Please go make the 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 table whilst I flip these pancakes. He's going to be joining us for lunch or uh, a, a cool brunch on the on the patio. You know, all of that just seemed like they were acting melodramatically for inane reasons, and they were in a movie that Plummer wasn't in for the whole movie. I agree that there was a tonal shift to me that. The the whole film felt like it could be a stage play, and to me, it, it gave in to more of those theatrical elements. The scenes with Dean Norris, <sighs> yeah, yeah. the the son of the Nazi who's accepted Nazi, but then again, it's a cheat because he's a cop. Come on, but anyway, they accept that guy. Reminded me a lot of in Falling Down. Mm-hmm. You're you and me. We're the same. That the gun dealer or whatever um that was good that was that whole scene was good even the tension with the dog and you know how i feel about Mm -hmm. dog tension uh well and plumber barely being able to hold on to reality and remember what's going on while simultaneously throwing back a half a bottle of jack daniels oh yeah (laughs) and then wetting his pants it was good though yeah, it was a good scene, it, but it was very different, as you said, tonally from the last scene. And then, like, if you took those two and said, which of these, if you took them as separate movies, said, which of these two movies is better? Everybody would identify the first one. I mean, I think the first scene. Well, the problem is they're trying to hold out on the reveal as long as they can in that final scene. So you have to create an artifice. It's, but it's also the acting of the. The other character, not the two Kulenders or the two Jews, the two old Jews or German guys. Well, the other German guy, they had to put a lot of bad makeup on him. Uh, he just didn't look right. Like The right. head was kind of misshapen, and that's one of the problems when you put on so many prosthetics. You, right. you make the head bigger, and the features are almost grotesque. Yeah, uh, then the, you have the, to the match balance and symmetry is not there. Yeah. Where, you know, Plummer looks old because he, he is, is old. old. Yeah. yeah. You know, it just, it works better. And I think it, the prosthetics weren't moving freely enough when the other guy was talking. It right. just, that created an odd feel. And I think that's to explain a lot of the tonal shift. Yeah. If you can't emote correctly, it, it's going to Yeah, his, his part of it when it, and it was bad. I guess every other actor other than Plummer. Plus, I have trouble believing someone's evil when they're in a bathrobe. <laughs> you know? All right, so you never saw Silence of the Lambs? <laughs> yeah, that got scary aside, when he took off the rope. Aside from, aside from Silence of the Lambs. Uh, I don't know. I I agree with the, with the person that wrote that article, and I wish you could remember his name or should have written it down. Except I'd extend it out to the last 15 minutes, maybe. Last 10 minutes. When he first arrives at that log cabin. Just the orange of those logs. Maybe it put me off. Maybe. It, so. You know, it kind of feels like an old Alfred Hitchcock presents like a half an hour story mm-hmm. from his TV show. Oh, it, it could have been. been. I mean, they, they pulled it out, but it could have easily been told in an hour or even 
could really trim it down and get it down to a half an hour story. What if you had uh, four one hour stories of him going to these different Coolanders? Oh, that's too long. If this was a mini series, tune in for an hour every Sunday night, mm. see the continuing adventures. I don't know. I might like that. I might like that. I do like that when the movie ends, it, it just cuts it. Cuts it off. There, there's no epilogue, black. really. Well, it does come back to Landau, and he explains himself. Uh, yeah, a little bit, and we find out he's a Nazi hunter. I froze the uh, letter. I did two. Well, it's two letters. Yeah, his own personal. I didn't like that. I think that's really confusing. Max is uh, admitting what he's done here. If you can't freeze it and then go up to the screen and start reading the stuff. Would you be able to read most of it on screen in a big movie theater? I don't think so. And I don't think you have enough time. Yeah, there, there wasn't and a lot of time. you think it's just one letter. Instead, it's like, here's my confession. Is that a cheat, though? Is that a cheat? I mean, like uh, the iceberg theory of writing that Hemingway had, where he would write entire chapters and then throw them away. <laughs> if you could find those other chapters, you'd read them. Oh, yeah. The sun also rises. He threw away the first 30 pages of that. Right. So you just start, you think one guy's your main character because you follow him for a chapter or two, and then he just goes away completely. But if you had access to those, you'd read them. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't with Hemingway. I don't like Hemingway that much. But, uh, <laughs> I would go back and find it. I would read it. I can't believe stuff. you don't like Hemingway. I, I still feel one day you're going to come with me and go, you know this Hemingway guy? <laughs> it's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, treat it like House. Yeah, you're going to read. I hate you know, it. That's TV show story. House. For so long now, I'll never watch that. I'll never watch that. Sounds stupid. And then we couldn't stop talking. I couldn't stop talking about it. And then when it ended, I was crushed. I think Hemingway, you're going to read the story and go, yeah. No, I've read enough Hemingway. I've read enough to know that I don't like him. So Uh, that's a story for another podcast, I think. We should do a podcast on Of Mice and Men. All right. I mean, done. I, I think every year we've said let's do yeah, Mice and Men. Do. I, I've never I'm, done one on Mice and Men. I'd like to get some more of your uh, insight on the on the uh, phallic symbols <laughs> in of Mice and Men. Oh, I, I, I or the I, Freudian uh, uh, reading of it. I'll go back. I'm sure there's been a lot of Freudian stuff written. Well, about there's a that. lot of communism stuff. Obviously, Steinbeck was a socialist. Maybe that's why I like Commie. him so much. Yeah, you, you yourself were a commie. Yeah. You and Trumbo. You, Trumbles, Trumbo, Steinbeck. So there you go. Be a good dinner party. Three Get reds. the two of those guys there. And then you invite in Hemingway and he beats the crap out of all of you. Chikami Reds. Did I don't Hemingway think Hemingway care? was a commie. He was an expat. Yeah, but he hated those fascists. So As he's hanging out in Cuba? <laughs> yeah. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. He wasn't in Cuba. He was in Key West. I thought he spent some time oh, yeah, in Cuba, he did too. go down to Cuba. Some, but that was before... The communist revolution down there, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know enough about yeah. Hemingway. I don't like him anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So remember, Adam McGoyan's film starring Christopher Plummer and Martin Landau, Bruno Gantz, Urin Prochnow, and a number of other actors, including Dean Norris. Uh, next week, we will definitely have a wee laugh for you, and we're kind of up in the air about where we're headed. Maybe the bronze. Yeah. Mr. Bull uh, over there wants to see the Bronze something fierce. Yeah, I'm, I, this might be a bit disappointment for me. It's not getting a huge Rotten Tomatoes no, rating. but it's low on Rotten Tomatoes. Sometimes those are the best movies. Uh, yeah, I guess if it's not, if it if it doesn't insist on itself, I can tell you this, every comedy that I've gone to that's rated highly, I've disliked immensely. So maybe this will be the big reversal for me. All right. so That's what I'm saying. 
I'm not completely in, but you might be able to convince me. Fair enough. If that doesn't work, we can always do our Of Mice and Men. All right. There we go. All right. So um, as President Merkin Muffley said in Dr. Strangelove, or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. (laughs) Classic. Yeah. So for Mr. Two Frames over there. Pleasure. I am the L-Train. Box everybody, everybody. There be dragons. Are you going to the movies this weekend? Let Laugh know what you saw. Send in your review by emailing the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at the Laugh Podcast, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash thelaughpodcast. The best comments will get read on a future show. 